one of the best directors you've never heard of and one of my favorite people in the world, Hirsch Ellis, joins us to talk Drama League, Tony Awards, and a little bit of a trip to Hogwarts today on Talk for Two. Hit it, Gary. Coming to you from the greatest city in the world, this is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey. Thank you very much, Mr. Gary Owen. And as always, thank you to our season sponsors. You know them, you love them, but we're here. We're on the cuff. We're kind of live to tape today as we do uh, something we haven't done in over a year. Hirsch, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am great. You're suddenly yelling into the microphone. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's okay. That's fine. Man allowed. It's been a crazy year. You know, I'm an idiot because... I went to the Drama League Gala in uh, in November. Can you believe it? And I, in a period of about four months, I had I switched data between like three computers. So I lost the files from the Drama League Gala, and now we're here to uh, to talk about the first thing we're going to talk about today is the Drama League Gala from the fall. And uh, I had a chance to speak with uh, four or five people, some really big luminaries. They mm. had this year. They had. Uh, uh, Steve Martin was the honoree. Yep. How, did the, how does the Drama League choose their gala honoree? Um, all I know, and this is from uh, speaking with Gabriel Stanley and Shanks, who runs the Drama League, is that it goes to a legendary performer that, that they want to honor once in their life. I know past the, the you know, last year we were both there for them honoring David Hyde Pierce. I think it's it's who's who is interested and who wants to you know be the figurehead for the Drama League for their fundraising for the year. Mm-hmm. Um. That that's a way of you know paying uh, paying back to people who paved the way for the future of the theater as and paying it forward. I know that they've wanted in recent years to get Nathan Lane. Do you think they'll get him next year because of Angels in America? Because he will now be three time Tony winner Nathan Lane. Uh, we're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that. Um, maybe we'll see. We'll see. I know that's yeah. Yeah. So the first person I spoke with, I spoke with Jen Colella. Uh, and we talked a little bit about uh, her relationship with the real Captain Bass. Yeah, that whole cast is friends with the real people they play, I think. Yeah, I mean, what made them think this was a smart show to bring to Broadway, but it's been doing really, really well? It's been doing really well. Um, it's a feel-good show. Um, you know, I think La Jolla Playhouse and specifically director Christopher Ashley have a huge track record with Broadway, specifically Memphis and Jersey Boys, amongst other shows. Um and it had played incredibly well in every city. You know, they did four out of towns with it, which is almost unheard of for any wow. musical. They went to Canada. They went to La Jolla. They started in La Jolla. They went to Canada. They went to um, uh, uh, D.C. and one other place. Seattle. They went to Seattle. Seattle. And everywhere it was just incredibly well received. So it came in with I, – I, there are very few shows that I can think of that have come in with word of mouth like that but, and nothing else. Um, so I think they knew – I remember thinking it was going to be a great show that we all loved that was going to last a, a couple of days and then it'd go away. <laughs> um, and it's – the fact that it's still selling out a year later is, is I think, a huge success for we, the musical theater. We get tour groups. I have friends that, that come to the city and they say, yeah, our group, the, the options are this, 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 or come from away. And it's so funny that – or just funny in, in a not funny way, but it's, it's interesting that uh, – a musical about something so tragic is the choice, but it's it's a it's a North American story that I think yeah. needs to be told, and it's the right time to tell yeah. it. 
So here's Jen, and here's what she had to say about Captain Bass. What, and I know you have a very special relationship with your real-life counterpart. Can you talk about how you got to know each other and got comfortable with each other and what that process was like? Sure. Captain Bass uh, was present for us right from the very beginning. She showed up at our world premiere in La Jolla. So she's kind of been informing the project as we've gone along. And since then, we've just become dear friends. She's seen the project uh, 83 times. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. At first glance, you think there really shouldn't be a story in, in the 9-11 tragedy that, that translates well into a musical. But it's just, to see what I've seen of it is just beautiful. Can you talk to the creative process and what that's been like? Absolutely. How you've respected the tragedy and approach that with the material. That's a perfect way to say it. Yes, we, we respect the fact that on 9-11 there was this horrific event that happened, but we're, we're actually celebrating are the events directly after. We're calling it the 9-12 musical because it's a true story about kindness and compassion, uh, people opening up their homes and hearts after this horrific thing happened. So that's what the story is really about. It's really a healing story, isn't it? Yes, it really is. We need to be reminded that we're all kind and compassionate at heart, especially right now. So what are you looking forward to most tonight? Oh my gosh, I'm looking forward to just enjoying being in a room filled with people whom I deeply respect and admire. Steve Martin fan? I'm a big Steve Martin fan. Oh, the Jerk is my number one favorite movie ever, ever, ever. So I'm beside myself to be here and be presenting tonight. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Pleasure to meet you. All right. Next up, we talked with somebody who it's just a big kid, big, big kid, Alex Brightman. Yeah. With uh, School of Rock. Yeah. Uh, he is the theater Jack Black to me. He's hysterical. Yeah. Did you get a chance to see him in the show? I did, but I saw him like tor like towards the end of his run. Is he still there? He's not no. still there. No, I saw him toward the end of his run where you know they cast him when he was this like schlubby guy and then you know the role is so demanding that he'd lost like seventy pounds or something doing it, so he was no longer schlubby enough for the part. Um so I saw him at the end going, Where'd they get the skinny guy from? <laughs> yeah, you kind of you can uh, work yourself out of the casting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you see, not keep the weight for long. Yeah. No. Here's Alex. Are you kidding? It's uh, the second I got asked to do this was, I wasn't. The yes couldn't have flown out of my mouth any quicker. I'm a, a humongous fan of Steve Martin. I know all of his stand-up by heart. I asked if I could do his stand-up for him, and they were like, "That'd probably be a bad idea." And I was like, "Probably right," because no one does it better than him. Uh, I'm looking forward to just. You know, what? I, I like watching people celebrate people, so I'm gonna probably watch him a lot to see sort of. You know, friends of his go up there. I don't know him. I just want to, you know, I'd like to be his friend someday. Very cool. I wanted to ask, I know it's been a while since you left School of Rock, yeah. but I am curious, what was it like working with all the kids? How did the kids handle themselves? I've always wanted to know. They're a nightmare. No, they're they're really, <laughs> they're super uh, amazing. And I, 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 it feels like a trite answer now because I've said it so many times, but it's totally true that they, they're, they were very cool kids. They were not theater kids uh, when we did it. And so they were calm and collected and they were doing the show because it was fun not because it was a job and that's a very good reminder to somebody who's done a lot of shows and sometimes doesn't want to get up in the morning you go oh you know this is fun this is what i wanted to do forever and it's a very good reminder to, to i always work with kids pt barnum was a, a liar as you know i am an old school tv fan and uh you see the name judith light do you know what show she was on um this is a quiz this is a quiz do You're i not. i do know what show Who's the boss? Is that it? No. I think she was on Who's the Boss, but also Dallas. Oh, cool. No clue. No clue. <laughs> no clue. I well, I love Judith Light. I think I think she's just the real deal when it comes to stage actors. I've never seen her give a bad performance. 
um, you know, she was opposite. Uh, one, one, I think the best performance I've ever seen her give was a, a forgotten thing. She was in uh, this Therese Varkin, which is a French slice of life drama opposite Keira Knightley, and is this old woman paraplegic in a wheelchair. It, it, one of the most committed performances I've ever seen. She, she is the real deal. I have to ask, it, this gentleman might ask it as well, but what does the Drama League mean to you? Well, the Drama League is one of the most extraordinary institutions we have here in New York City. It's all about the support for the arts, it's all about paying it forward, it's about our Young Directors Program, it's about making sure that the arts are taken care of for decades to come, and that's the Drama League and Gabriel Shanks who I have great, tremendous respect for. Wonderful, Ms. Light. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. The next person we're going to put in is just, it's vanity. Do you, you know a lot of producers. Do you recognize the name Jamie DeRoy? No. <laughs> Oops. You're failing me, Ellis. You are failing no, me. No, we live in the era where shows have like 18 producers above the title. Yeah, I had to. We, you I, see, once on this island, I know we, we have our Tony Bout where they list all the producers nominated. For best of awards, Once in Silent takes up a page. It's longer than the people who wrote SpongeBob. I, I literally, I was making this. This would have been 13 pages long. These we have. I have the whole press release with the uh, with all of the nominees here in front of me. And I literally, I went through. I took out. I took out all of the producers and all the best categories because. Right. So, so who much. is this one producer, Matt? Jamie DeRoy. I can't tell you what else she's produced. I think she does a lot of special events. And a lot of cabaret, but she does have a Tony for Jay Johnson, the two and only, which you know very well that it was is my obsession because Jay's a good friend, and she came over and I just I did, I was asking everybody about Steve Martin, but she came over. I said we have a mutual friend. It's uh, Jay Johnson, and she went, oh oh my god, I wish she lived in New York, and she was just so. He's been a frequent guest on your show, hasn't he? Yeah, back when we were doing a lot of ventriloquism, he did. Uh, he was on the show, and I have to say, did you watch Night Court? I didn't. Do you know Another show, I think. Wasn't you in flat on that? No, I don't. No, no. Candace Bergman. Uh, was that? That's uh, Candace Bergman that was on that. Uh, there, I don't know if Candace Bergman was on it. I know that they had that kind of type. Yeah, like yeah, the yeah. Security yeah. guard. Yeah. But Harry Anderson, I'm sure you saw, Harry Harry Anderson, who played the judge, recently passed away. Um, I didn't. I only know him from the Thirty Rock episode where they do a Night Court reunion. <laughs> Yes, yes, but he and Jay were like lifelong best friends, and so he's gone through a, a lot. So this was this was a joy to find and and just have uh, Jamie be rem- reminiscing about her time working with Jay and winning a Tony for the two and only. I am a big big fan of your work, and we have a mutual friend, Mr. Jay Johnson. Oh my God, Jay Johnson! I love Jay Johnson. Not only was I, you know, associate producer. Oh, thank you, sweetie, on his show. But he came on Jamie Doroy and Friends. He is so brilliant. I wish he lived here. He'd be a guest on my show all the time. Yeah, I, I grew up, I was a ventriloquist for quite a while. I still am, so yeah, he's great. So what does the Drama League mean to you? Well, I have been coming here for a very long time. And not only is it always entertaining, and I mean always entertaining, but one year I met a doctor who was also a producer and he found that I had a lot, I went to him for back pain, he found I had a thyroid lump. Another year I met a real estate broker, I found my apartment. I have luck at this place and I'm at table 22 tonight, which is my lucky number. So 
I don't know, who knows, who knows? But tonight is very special too because I'm a co-producer on Meteor Shower that Steve Martin wrote and was also co-producer on Bright Star, which he also wrote. And I am just a huge fan of his, a huge, huge fan. And I, I just think he's brilliant. So Favorite Steve friend. Martin movie? I love, I've probably seen every Steve Martin movie, but don't ask me to quote them all because I'm getting to that age. Now what happened, Hirsch, to the special event Tony, to the special category Tony? There weren't enough of them to fill out a category, so they got rid of them, and then this year they decided to hammer in special events. Which we'll get to when we talk about the Tonys, because we got to do Steve Martin next, but, but I'm pissed, because it's like... There, it's like there's more special events now than ever. 2015 this year, had, well, 2015 had Penn and Teller. Uh, but, but one one a year is not enough to fill out a category. But should those shows receive some kind of recognition from the Tonys? I think what the Tonys have opted to do uh, opted to do is we're going to see going forward is whenever a special event comes that they think is really worthy of recognizing, really providing something to the theatrical community on a whole because you know a lot of times they tend to be pretty self contained. In themselves, and they really sort of feel like someone just decided to rent out a theater, mm-hmm. as opposed to really embracing the Broadway community in the way that, like, say, Springsteen has this year. Yeah. Um, but um, by so the I, way, how are they getting him in and out of that theater? He goes out the stage door, goes to his car, they funnel him to his car the same way anyone else does. Throngs of people on the other side. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, we I want to talk about that, but we got to wrap up the Drama League. Yeah. Because they did something. They said Steve Martin's not going to come down. He's not going to walk the press line. He's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. Then they said, oh, Steve's here. He's not going to take questions. And he starts taking questions. And I'm like, oh, forgive me for cursing, but that was what was going on in my mind. Was Wait, crap. are we not allowed to swear? No, we're fucking not. No. <laughs> this is going to get hard when we get into Tony nominees. Yeah, I've, I've, no holds barred, please. Uh. Um, so here is the one question I got to ask. By the way, what's your favorite Steve Martin movie? Oh, God. Um, probably The Jerk. It's probably... It's, 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 everybody it's, said it's that. It's definitely everybody, The Jerk. Everybody said it's that. De- I, I, uh, Three Amigos is fun, too. <laughs> um, yeah. Now it's going to hit me what my favorite Steve Martin movie is later. The first one that came to mind was The Jerk, though. I know I asked him a really poignant and insightful question, I think, unless my brain just... Oh, that's to, not bragging. Uh, uh, unless my brain just turned to mush, but it's been a while since I listened to it, because like I said, I just found it, and I was rushing to put this all together. So, here's my one question with Steve Martin. Mr. Martin, I just want to ask, I saw Bright Star, loved it. What's one thing you learned from Bright Star that you're taking with you to Meteor Shower? Uh... Well, the, the work process, you know, you work so hard, you don't give up, you keep going, keep trying, you keep changing, you keep uh, tightening, keep working. It's, it's, a, it's an ongoing, uh, steady process of work that is a joy to do. Wonderful. Thank you so much, okay, sir. Thanks. All right. I have to admit, I've been kind of hosting this and holding the uh, holding the bag a little bit because you weren't at this Drama League gala. No, but, I wasn't. I didn't want to run a tux. This is... <laughs> Nobody. I, when you're on the press line, you don't have to wear a tux. When you're a guest, you do. Were you invited again this year? I was, and I had a lot of friends go. Um, you know, we Gabriel does a thing. I, I'm a former student of Gabriel Stalin Shanks, who runs the Drama League, and he invites all of us to um, quote volunteer for the evening, where we're basically available to ask questions 
of the of everybody from everybody for the silent auction in the earlier part of the evening and then once the event really gets going we just get to enjoy ourselves when i was there this year it was mostly pay students yeah it is yeah it is it's a lot of pay students um that's who a lot of my friends were that were there but do, do other schools get salty that, that well gabriel teaches at pace right so probably is the answer <laughs> all right well my point is, don't be shy here. I'm going to let you kind of take the lead because I'm the idiot that just, I pay my money, I sit in the seats, and I love theater. I did theater a lot growing up. But in terms of knowing the in and outs and the political situations of the shows that come to Broadway and the production situation of shows that come to Broadway, you are the master. And so this is, this is your gig from here on out. Um, I want to start off with something that's going to make you laugh, so don't drink. Tony nominee Amy Schumer. Please shoot me. Shoot me, shoot me, That's shoot not me. the funniest thing of the year, though. What's the funniest thing of the year to you? Tony nominee everybody for SpongeBob. <laughs> yes. It's, it's they, they all got a Tony nomination for writing a quarter of a song that Tom Kidd arranged for them. Oh, my goodness. You know, I because of the fact that there are so many celebrity musicians involved this year, I tried for the music universe, which those that listen yeah. know I write for, I tried to get into the press event. Yeah, you texted me last night. It was like, hey, you want to go to Tony Press tomorrow? Well, I was like, if I could get in, because there was also the possibility that New York One, if you're listening, could uh, freelance me out again. <laughs> that was weird. Me. We're going to talk about that, that in a minute. weird. We're going to talk about that in a minute. We're going to talk about that when we get to Harry Potter. Oh, my gosh. Um, but, but, yes, does the fact – we were talking about this the other day. Does the fact that it is so many people – kind of nullify its chances against everybody else in that no i think what what i you know i i say look at spongebob as a score you're leaving aside that it kind of hurts the prestige of the tonys that they'd give 30 people a tony um i think look at it as a score for the musical theater and it is not the best one this year and thank god the 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 there's been a lot of like the 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 there's a lot of people who are heavily invested in the winners of the Tonys that haven't actually seen any of the shows. You know, the the, commun- the, the community theater crowds around the country mm-hmm. that are all so excited about SpongeBob and they see the nominees and they're like, yes, all these people are theater people. They're going to win a Tony. And what they don't realize is there's this little show on Broadway this year called The Band's Visit that um, I think there's just a, a understanding, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this with another category it's in later, um, you know, David Yazbek has written one of the most exquisite and complex and unique scores for the theater we've ever seen. And it's 90 freaking minutes. It's 90, yeah, and? Well, that's just amazing that he told the story in the length of a one-act. A yeah. one-act musical is Right, because there's, cause there's in, so in much way? plot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is such a for, plot. For those who don't know, for those, for those who don't know, The Band's Visit is about... Um, I saw it, yeah. It's, it's a great show. It's about a... a group of Egyptian police musicians that end up in a podunk town in Israel um, for one night where they're trapped and the locals take them in and it's about communal divide. It's essentially the same plot as Come From Away, but deals with Middle Eastern politics as opposed to U.S.-Canadian relationships, which are for some reason a lot more polite. Because it is so anti-commercial in a lot of ways, it is not what comes to, as you were talking about, the little community person's mind. No. What made it break through? What? Um, I think that that they happen to be the. This is and this is from someone who absolutely loves this show. 
Um, but they happen to be the only snob hit musical of the year. There was not another art house musical on Broadway. You know, last year we had Great Comet and Dear Evan Hansen and Come From Away that were all kind of little shows that could mm-hmm. on Broadway. Um, whereas this year it is just Bands Visit. So all of the people that are, that, you know, the New York crowd, the locals that go see theater, which is really the audience for Bands Visit and all those shows, you know, they've, they've kind of transcended. The other three kind of transcended as time went on, but initially they were shows for a New York audience. But is it a smart idea for the commercial side of Broadway, which we all know the Tonys are a commercial for Broadway? Well, is it a smart idea for them to give the band's visit a Tony Award just on, on the merits of drawing well, audiences? Well, yeah, it's the show that needs it. I mean, it is a hit. It is a hit. It is running. And it's minting, you know, over a million dollars a week, mm-hmm. which is it's great. It's selling it in the 90% capacities. It's, it's definitely a hot ticket and it's a hit. Um, and I love that the literacy of theater is becoming that that a show that complex and that nuanced is mainstream now. So and it's I'm sure it's going to probably feature in the Tonys. It's probably going to win five six awards. Um, it's definitely a lock for best musical and best um, score and best book, which might be a spoiler for something that I see on my tip sheet we're about to talk about. And best actress. Well, we want to talk about with best book. I don't. I didn't. I'm, I have my own notes, but I didn't give you anything. Oh, that's just a typo on the back here where you have best book. Well, best book has a very heavy hitter, very big heavy hitter in it with um, Tina Fey being nominated for Mean Girls. She's done a very good – she's done a nice job. Um, but I can't comment on it because I haven't seen it, but I heard it's doing rather well and it's surprising in its quality. I enjoyed Mean Girls, but I'm a bad millennial. Um, <laughs> what do you I, mean you're a bad millennial? Well, I've never seen the movie. Yeah. Well, so No, you're a straight is what you are. <laughs> You're a straight. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, I'd never seen the movie, um, and from what I've been told by people I saw it with, the stuff that I liked about the show was stuff that I like was I would like from the movie, and there's nothing incredibly special about the adaptation. For those of you hearing the ice clinking in my glass, I have water since we're gonna, you know we're here talking for a while. Uh, rate it amongst the other books. You think? Oh, it's, it's definitely number up? two. It's definitely number two. What's number one? Uh, number one is, is Bands Visit. You know, okay. Eatmar Moses is an incredibly accomplished New York playwright. He's taken on a big topic. He's written a show where the, the nuances of speech really are what carry it. Is, it. is it quality enough to win Best Book, but too quiet to win Best Musical? Oh, no, it's going to win Best Musical. <laughs> it's going to win Best Musical, and it, 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 it is the best okay. this year. Okay. I want to get back to well, since we're on Bands Visit, Tony Shalhoub needs a damn Tony. Okay, he'd have my vote this year uh, if I was a Tony voter, which I constantly am told I'm not. He gets snubbed every year. Every year that he's nominated, I saw Act One. He was snubbed. great. Saw Lend Me a Tenor. Snubbed. He's not. Why are they nominating this incredibly amazing actor if they're not going to give him the award? Matt, do you like Tony Shalhoub? Yes. How many times have you tried to get him on the show? Oh, that's a story that I don't want to tell. I've told you this story. Okay, okay. edit it out. Edit it out. I've told you. Edit it out. I've told you this story. Matt's tried to get Tony Shalhoub a I've couple of times. I tried to get Tony Shalhoub, and I had a very good conversation going with his manager. And unfor- do you want to get into? Do you want to get into this? Yes. Okay. I don't care. I, I care because I think it's a sentimental story because it has an interesting ending. Uh, his manager was a lady named Mary Goldberg, and we had a very productive talk. But Tony had just been so busy. Um, and it was going to be an honor to talk to him. And around the time of Band's visit, and what was the other one he did last year with Danny DeVito? What the was Price. It? The Price. Okay, I hope you're enjoying that sandwich there, man. 
I'm it's trying to fun. eat away from the microphone. No, you're fine. I don't care. I would rather be honest and upfront with everybody about what our recording situation is than just uh, to pretend it's not happening. Um, and she stopped responding. I just, I couldn't get a response. I wasn't sure if she had moved past, but she had been so helpful. Well, I go to see the band's visit, and I sit down, and I read Tony Shalhoub's bio in, in the playbill. And he says, and the very last line says, he... Uh, he dedicates this performance in memory of his longtime manager, Mary Goldberg. She had passed away. Um, and I waited at the stage door. It was pouring rain, but I said, I read that I need to wait at the stage door. I waited at the stage door to shake his hand, which I'd done uh, for every show that I'd seen him except Lemmy a tenor. I was able to do this. But this time it was especially personal because I just wanted to say, look, you know, she was so helpful to me trying to interview you. He goes, oh, did you know her? I said, no. I said, we just communicated about trying to book you on my show, uh, and I just wanted to give you my condolences. And he said, oh, that's very kind of you. And he signed and took a picture and, and moved on. But, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Tony Shalhoub fan. But to answer your question, technically only once. It was one email thread, but it took a while. And, unfortunately, it had that ending to it, and I haven't pursued it since because I'm sure he's – very busy and worn out after every single show. But I think he's, and I think you'll agree with this, he's one of the most underappreciated actors working in yeah. the theater. He, oh, he's an excellent stage actor. I, don't th I think everyone appreciates him. He gets nominated for Tony. You know, just happened to be Brian Cranston playing U.S. president and, and you know, this uh, lots of parts. And he's up for acting in a musical this year. And he only sings one song. Yeah. Um, and he would definitely have my vote. He's definitely the best actor in the category is best actor in a musical in the category but I have a strange feeling they're not going to give him a Tony because that is the category where they're going to go for showy and he has a very very a, a co-star with an extremely showy role and so she'll win okay yeah. yeah that that makes sense and it's unfortunate but why can't he ever catch a break oh, I, I mean beyond yeah. just him being up against celebrity well I don't think he looks for awards bait roles I think he looks for characters he's interested in and sometimes yeah. they turn out to be showier and sometimes they don't um and no one ever got a Tony for subtle no one ever won you don't win awards for nuance unfortunately that's a shame well it remains to be seen maybe they'll flip it on you maybe they'll give him the Tony and they'll give Spongebob this <laughs> oh god well I let's go ahead sorry no go ahead you ask the question I just the headline and it, this had to come from the, the thing that astounds me is it had to come from the American Theater Wing because it was the headline in every article. SpongeBob tied with Mean Girls for most nominations in I Don't Want to Live in New York Anymore. Well, <laughs> there, were, there were five new musicals on Broadway this year. Uh, four of them got nominated for Tony. Or no, six new musicals. Four of them got nominated for Tonys. Two of them got all but shut out. Naturally, they were going to be a year where shows received more nominations. And SpongeBob and Mean Girls happened to be very technical shows. And it seems they made a conscious decision, the nominators, to not nominate Frozen for any technical categories. Why? Um, you know, I enjoyed Frozen more than a lot of Disney shows that got nominated for technical categories. And I think it's incredibly well designed. But it's, it's boring. It's not... You know, Aladdin's empty spectacle. Lion King's an amazing piece of art. Frozen's somewhere in the middle. And I enjoyed that more than Aladdin. I enjoyed the narrative focus. I was sad that the puppet was, of Olaf, in the pictures I saw, was fully realized. It's bland. Right, right. Because even with James, even with the genie in Aladdin, 
they did something amazing in James Monroe Iglehart and character. I mean, people, well, they let him just riff for two hours, right? Because people aren't coming in to play genie; they're coming in to fill James Monroe Iglehart's shoes, right? Who managed to do his own thing and not have to fill Robin Williams' shoes? Exactly. So I was sad that I didn't. At least and I haven't seen the musical, but at least in in the promo materials I've seen that I didn't see more of that. I found the first act really enjoyable. It's definitely visual feat, which, um, but it definitely overstays its welcome. You know, it, it just after a while you just get bored. Um, it's a shame. That is a shame. I mentioned this at the top as my most distressing. Like I love her and she's welcome on the show anytime because she's funny. But this is a case of somebody just not staying in their lane. And I'd say this about a, a male stand-up comic too. You know, if Kevin Hart came to Broadway, this would be my argument, too. Amy Schumer is a Tony nominee. I mean, she, Meteor Shower just seemed like uh, Taurus B. Um, I, yeah, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. I think Steve Martin was genuinely trying to riff on Virginia Woolf. I just think it, it came off as middle brow at best. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought of all the performances they should honor in Meteor Shower. Laura Benanti was the one that I would have nominated. Um who was as funny as she's ever been, um, but she was in a very tight category this year. And has she ever won a Tony? Uh, yes, okay. uh, for Gypsy. Well, that brings me to the Nathan Lane versus, can't believe this is another one I can't believe I'm going to say, Michael Sarah. Yeah, well, Michael Sarah is excellent lobby hero. Yeah. Michael Sarah, you know, who is as average of a screen actor as he is, he's an excellent stage actor. I've liked him in everything I've seen him in. Um, he really does. And he's in a, you know, Brian Terry Henry from Atlanta. Is excellent in that show, and Chris, honestly, Chris Evans is very, very good in that show. Um, he was not nominated for a Tony. You know, he's got the less showy role um, in terms of dramatic action. He's very funny, um, but none of them embarrass themselves for a really starry cast. But his big competition is not Michael Sarah in that category. It's um, future actor in a play. His, his biggest competition would be uh, Anthony Boyle for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. If you can call it that, honestly, Nathan Lane is giving a career redefining performance, though, as Roy Cohn. He's the kind of, with the era we're living in, he's kind of the anchor of the production. What was the name of the play? My favorite Nathan Lane play, because um, I did a scene from it in high school. Was it the oh. Mammoth one with Laurie Metcalf? He did with Laurie Metcalf? The presidential one? Yeah. Yeah, what's that called? November. November. Just yep. November. One of my favorite plays that I think he's ever done. I've never seen, and we saw it's only a play. I've never seen him in a dramatic role, and I, I want to go see specifically his performance. Well, the, the most interesting thing he's in starring Angels in America, Tony Kushner's two-part epic story of um, the AIDS crisis, and um, is Angels a lock for best play, best revival? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, though there, it's getting some traction for Three Tall Women, which is definitely going to win for best actress, Glenda Jackson, and a. Excellent return to the stage uh, after 30 years in British Parliament. Um, I think the biggest lock that it has is Nathan Lane. Explain for our listeners and explain for me the difference between featured and supporting. And what does that language mean to uh, a nominating committee like the Tonys? How does they how do they work it, that out? It doesn't. It's the same category. Um, it's the same category. I know the way the category breakdown happens is that anyone billed above the title is leading, anyone billed below the title is featured, and then shows petition category changes. So, for example, Angels, 
um, Nathan Lane and Andrew Garfield were billed above the title, whereas yeah. the rest of the cast was below. And Nathan Lane could definitely be considered a role that's leading or featured, and so could Andrew Garfield. You could make the case that everyone in there is featured. But they petitioned him down to give them separate categories because I think they're counting on Andrew Garfield. Leading actor is an easier category, and it's, it's, it's currently looking like it's Andrew Garfield versus Jamie Parker for playing Harry Potter all grown up. Um, and I think that they're really counting on both of them winning because um, Angel's just extended today to July 15th. I, I think that'd be great. I think it's a it's a pretty good production of Angels. You know, Angels is a hard hard play to get right. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's uh it's but there is su- there is supporting category, right? There's featured featured no fe- just one category. Oh, just featured. Yeah. What there's one awards I always complain about the Tonys that has featured and supporting. Um, I thought the Tonys used to do that. Nope, the Golden Globe or the the Emmys have featured and guest. They have supporting actor and they have guest guest star. Which are separate categories. Um, all right, let's talk about it. Let's talk about... Oh, because of Featured, has Noma been given her Tony? Noma Dumaswini, uh has been given the insurmountable task of uh, playing Hermione Granger on Broadway in the six-hour epic eighth Harry Potter story, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Um, she's a Nigerian immigrant... She's an incredibly acclaimed British stage actress, um, and she has to play, I think, the hardest of the three roles, just because Hermione is I, arguably the most beloved and the most um, deified of those of those three characters. You know, Harry's the main character, Ron's there, and Hermione kind of anchors that whole series in so many ways. Um, and Noma really delivers i mean she just gives you exactly the hermione you want her to give you um and she manages to make you not think about emma watson while she's doing it her interview with us was so good it's actually the last interview we're going to air later on uh which we have to tell she's a delight i was you could you could pick you you had to scrape me up off the floor yeah you were there after she walked away i was like dang you know i hope she gets it because not only is she talented, and, and her talent, I've not seen Harry Potter yet, but her yeah. talent, her resume speaks to her talent. She's so nice. I know, I know. She's um, so down to earth. Yeah. She's so like, what the hell is my career? Yeah. Hi, we're on yeah, she, She's in the days. I mean, she won an Olivier for the role. Yeah. As did Jamie Parker and Anthony Boyle, who are the three acting nominees for Harry Potter. They all won Olivier's. I think their best chance would be... Um, Noma winning at the Tonys. You know, they have the, the hard thing of being up against Angels, whereas in London they competed, these two productions, both British transfers, competed separate years. So the person who won the Olivier this year was Denise Goff for Angels in America, playing Harper Pitt, the role that won, you know, Marcia Gay Harden, her Tony, and Mary Louise Parker, her Emmy. Um, and Denise Goff is coming off of a massive success with People, Places, and Things, uh, which was just played at St. Anne's Warehouse and is not Tony eligible. So she's giving you two kind of uh, major, major performances in New York this year um, is probably your biggest competition. And we also can't count out uh, Laurie Metcalf, who's just an absolute treasure of the theater. And between her Oscar nomination, winning a Tony last year, and um, Roseanne rebooted, she, it seems like she just can't be stopped right now. No, I 
time, and you said she even took like a demotion in this role just to do, just to work with. Well, her. just to, just to be opposite Glenda Jackson. Right. So, <laughs> so she's really because uh, you know she could have she could have come back to Broadway in any top billing role, and she decided to be the supporting actor to, you know, not a legend. It's yeah, and it's where I think sometimes because of Roseanne, I think that sometimes where she feels most comfortable and most most at home is is. Because I think sometimes in supporting roles, you can be a little crazier. Well, it's a supporting role where no one leaves the stage. So all three of them, you know, Alison Pill is the third actor in the cast. Right. And the three, the three women, the three tall women, are, are on stage the entire play. But they have to be there listening. Noma, or not Noma, well, uh, Glenda Jackson is, they're, they're playing three pieces of the same woman. Yeah. Um, in Edward Albee's Three Tall Women. Um and you know they they have to be present listening to Glenda Jackson monologuing, which can't be easy. It really can't be easy. Yeah, and I was a big newsroom fan as you were, and mm-hmm. Alison Pill, I think, was. Yes, she was. Yes, yes. she was. So uh, yeah, so I need to see that. But what does it mean when uh, a play is titled, so, when a revival is titled Eugene O'Neill or Edward Albee's? What's it mean? It means they have a really good estate. Um, <laughs> no, that's that's um. Um, all these playwrights' estates, they're, 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 um, that hand, control the rights insist on the playwrights' names being up front. That's all that is. Uh, it's the remi- just a reminder to everybody who wrote it. That's so bizarre. Yeah. It's interesting, interesting, interesting. The thing I want to talk about that's not this season, but I would love to see go to Broadway. But we were talking about celebrities earlier who can kind of disappear into their role a mm-hmm. little bit. And instantly the show... Cannot remember the name of the show. Claire Danes, Hank Azaria. Dry Powder? Dry Powder, yes. Yeah. Um, do you think that could, would, or should transfer to Broadway? It transferred to London this year with a different cast, and I think a different production. I don't think it was a transfer. I think it was just a British production. I thought the play was interesting. I thought it didn't give as much. I really enjoyed it, but, like, it's dense. It is really dense. Um and it's it's uh, you know junk this year. A play about finances really only worked at Lincoln Center, and junk is also about the financial world. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's a commercial thing. I think the the, the you know John Krasinski and Hank Azaria and Claire Danes would have sold it. Um, the 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 film actor I think this year that really most disappeared into a role uh, would have been Billy Piper in Yerma at the Armory, uh, and that I'd like to see go to Broadway next year. I, I mean, it's selling out the Armory, which is 800 seats, which is the size of a Broadway theater. Let's talk about I have to switch. You have to switch gears to our final hey, top. Oh, hey, do you want to talk about another Tony thing? Yeah. Yes, 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 but I need to see all of the ones in this particular. Yes, here it is in this particular category. Last page. Last page. Um, recipients of awards and honors in non-competitive categories. Lifetime Achievement, Special Tony Award, Cheetah Rivera, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Thank you, Jesus. Do I need, to, do I need to explain that one to you? <laughs> no. No, no, no. <laughs> great, great. That, Let's move on. That's good. But, I mean, well-deserved, right? Well-deserved to both of them. Absolutely. Well-deserved. Well-honored. Uh, the question I wanted to ask, because they were named in the same breath, Bruce Springsteen and John Leguizamo. Legu- John Leguizamo. Leguizamo. Thank you. I can never say it. Kill me now. Okay. S- just Special Tony Award. Yeah, I mean, I mean, does it harm them to just pull it out their butt and not call it anything? Well, John Leguizamo actually ended up getting. I right. think they thought is he wasn't going to get nominated, 
And then he ended up getting nominated for Best Play for the show he's winning the special Tony for. Right. Um, which, good for him. You know, he has a, a long career in the theater. Uh, 30 years of, of solo performance. Yeah. On Broadway, which is almost unheard of. Um, so it was... And, and um, it's, it's well-deserved. You know, he does not have a Tony at this point, and it's about time. Um, and Bruce Springsteen, it's the event of the year. It is. Every year, there's one or two special Tonys. You know, last year went to the sound designer of The Encounter after they got rid of the sound design category, and then they had a show come that really was all about its sound design. Do they keep shooting themselves in the foot in that regard? Well, it's back this year. Yeah. And it's going to go to SpongeBob, I think, for, for a musical. and, and Foley. Life Foley, yep. There's a, if for those of you who haven't seen SpongeBob, there's a Life Foley artist that sits in the balcony and, and makes sound effects as the performers move. Shh, we can't tell them that. It's not a secret. They, they reveal in the first three seconds of the play. <laughs> Oh boy! Yeah, um, and then Harry Potter will win for for play yeah. as long as with every other technical category that Behemoth is going to win. The uh, but but I mean, will they call it anything? Will they call it Event of the Year? Will they? What will be engraved on his Tony? Um, special achievement or something like that. I'm not exactly sure. I'm sure it, if you looked online, it would say. Okay. Well, it doesn't. It just says yeah. special. There's a lot of people. Um, you know, Barbara Streisand's an EGOT winner with a special Tony. Bette Midler was an EGOT winner with a special Tony, even back when they had the special event category. Well, that's my question because Michael Moore then I guess got screwed because his show wasn't as well received. Okay. Yeah. Because then you're like, wait a minute. If there were these amount of special event shows in a year, shouldn't the category? But both both John Leguizamo and Bruce Springsteen. And Bruce Springsteen has the the. Um, of being the event of the year. Yeah. You know, it's sitting there, seeing Bruce Springsteen alone on stage with a guitar in an 800-seat theater. You cannot, you cannot buy a ticket for thousands and thousands of dollars. It, they're just gone. So I can't go to the theater tonight and see what they got left over? And, uh... You can. There's a, there's a wait line that goes around the block. People like camp out for, for regular price tickets to be refunded. I think even then they're like $400 a piece. Does a residency? Every, any big celebrity that ever does a residency, and it is so cool to see that it has come to New York and to see that Broadway has welcomed him with uh, with open arms. But why him? Is it because he's a child in New Jersey? Is it because because he's one of the biggest music stars in the world? He's the bus and truck Jersey crowd are, are his prime audience, and he's a guy who sells out twenty thousand seat arenas in every city in the world. He, he does five shows a week. Every four weeks is one concert. But I'm saying, is there somebody else who does that that would come to Broadway and flop? No. No, anyone, anyone, or arenas. You know, he plays, he does one concert in 80,000 seat arena, which I've seen him do before. Yeah. Um, that's more people than can see his entire run on Broadway. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, we, I think we saved the best for last, and... We gotta go to the Harry Potter opening. <laughs> that very last minute... I think you canceled a dinner. Yeah, I did. Sorry, sorry, sorry to my cousin Samantha. So that we could go to this opening. I, I, I mean, it's always fun to get to go to any red carpet. You're standing literally shoulder to shoulder with these people because it's New York. There's no room to move. But the problem is, I was hired two hours before the event. So, so I get a phone call or a text. I get a text from Matt saying, uh, "Want to go to a press event for Harry Potter?" So Sarah responded to me to say, you mean the opening night? They didn't tell him it was the press event. 
So, so explain how you got hired, and I'll, I'll say what they told us when we walked in. No, they said it was a press event for Harry Potter. They didn't. You thought it was the opening night party, which yeah, ended up. I was right. <laughs> no, you were wrong because they kept it, it normal. It's it's the press that they normally do at the theater that they that or that they normally do at the party that they chose to do at the theater this time. Right, that because they were getting in their buses and going to Cipriani, and we were gonna we were gonna crash, and it was a whole big thing. I got but, sick. But I was like, so uh, yeah, and I'm thinking I'm just gonna show up in a in a shirt, you know, in a button down and nice jeans and nice shoes. And you were like, "What did you tell me?" Put on a suit. But and I was like, "But," and you were like, "Put on a suit." <laughs> and I'm glad I did because it was a heck of a lot of fun. And then we get there, and because I was hired freelance, I didn't know the name of the organization. So, so we walk in, and you go, "I'm I'm Matt Bailey. I'm here." And and <laughs> the lady listening goes, "Oh, you're the two guys from New York One." And I had no clue. I had no clue. Because, okay, there's, like, Uber for journalists. It's called Stringer. Maybe they'll partner with my show now. I was hired through them. And what they don't realize is that for private press events, you can't just, like, accept and show up. I had to, like, text their – they have a hotline number that you can text. Well, because this was high profile. Like, we needed wristbands to get through the door, and we had to be cleared on a list. And, yeah. I had to have my DCPI card with me, and and we (laughs) – it was just so weird. Because I was texting, I was like, get my name on a list. Okay, we're here, they're giving us funny looks. Who do I say? And they were so reticent because they are a third party. They were so reticent to give me the names. I said, look, I said, I'm not gonna sell the footage directly. I said, I just wanna know who has my name. And so finally they did, they told me, and then actually I didn't sell the footage directly, and I still want to work with Stringer, but I did call New York One after we left. New York One bought it, didn't they? Yeah, they bought it through Stringer. They bought, they bought New it. York One bought my shitty iPhone video. They bought your sh- because we were we had no clue. I thought it was just some, oof, some oof, website. I swore. No, I swore. No, I don't care. <laughs> I, I thought it was just some website, some blog that got last-minute approval and needed a guy to go. We walk in. Oh, you're the guys from New York One, and I went. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yes, we spent we spent two hours chatting with the cast and with um, playwright Jack Thorne and, and uh, Richard Ridge with Broadway World. Hi, Richard. Your mm-hmm. uh, talk with Lee Pace the other day was excellent. We um, we got to chat. We did we did an interview. We didn't film these, but we got to chat with all of the Broadway press corps. Yeah, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's uh, well, you're standing right there next to him. I mean. You're further away from me now than we actually had space to people. Oh, no. We were crammed in that room. Yeah. We were like, I couldn't. I was, I almost regret wearing a suit. Like, next time, maybe I'll just wear the jacket and no tie. Yeah. Because. It was hot. It was hot. And I love the photos you took, but I look sweatier and fatter than usual because of those lights and because of just how hot and cramped it was. And we should probably preface these interviews with, um, there's a huge thing about harry potter keep the secrets you're not really supposed to talk about hashtag keep the hashtag secrets. keep the secrets um we're not supposed to talk about anything you've seen um in the show and the actors unless they play a character so the first scene of harry potter and the cursed child is the last chapter of the book harry potter and deathly hallows it's the epilogue the 19 years later so unless they're characters that appear in that chapter of deathly hallows um you're not allowed to talk about who they play in the show. So, like, we did some interviews with some people who were worthless because we couldn't ask them, who do you play in the show? What's it like playing that part? What's it? Because they just can't talk about it. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, beloved characters that people play excellently well. There are, there are people that play characters that are, that you couldn't think someone else could play those parts. 
and they do them so the characters you wouldn't expect so unbelievably well and they can't talk about it it was interesting we also I'm chewing on ice we also couldn't talk to the kids well yeah that's that's a pretty common rule and uh kids unless it's like a matilda or a billy elliot kids don't do press because one of the kids is now on MasterChef. Well, I'm sure she has to do press for that. Well, my mom, hi, wanted me to talk to her. And I was like, they walked by and I, she said, did you talk to her? I said, no, they walked by and we were told that they are not doing press. So why did they parade them through the, I guess, for pictures? Because that was how the pictures and that's how they had to get to the bus to go to the party. That's the thing about New York is nobody, and this is what we were getting at. With, I was getting at with Bruce Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen is there's no garage usually that you can take your we had a tunnel yeah that you can take your people through and really have them evade the hordes of people waiting to get autographs or whatever else do you know is bruce springsteen stage drawing or is he just oh no he's stage drawing i think he comes out takes four you know he's got a crowd there every night yeah like like it's kind of similar to when like daniel craig's on broadway or something like that yeah um where he takes a couple of pictures and then and then he gets in the bus and he and he he goes um but I think he does spend a couple of minutes at the stage door every day. I, and it's wonderful when they do. What is your opinion on stage dooring and the people that wait at the stage door? That, that's been a big controversy in the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, don't – you know, it's, it's upsetting when they expect it yeah. because there are people who have done a long show. I remember when I was doing Heather's at New World Stages. Those girls had the hardest sing that they're ever going to have in their careers. That is a tough score to sing. So to go out there and talk with people for an hour, you know, at the end of a two-show day – is a lot, especially when you're trying not to get sick in the winter. Um, so, you know, they do, everyone does the best they can, and producers are definitely on your case to go talk to people at the stage door. Because those are your fans, those are your supporters, that's who's going to go on social media and promote your show. And that stuff does go a really long way. But it, it's, um, so it's really a good thing for the, for the conversation about the piece. But the issue comes when people expect performers to be, to, to stage door every night. Yeah, it happened to Cynthia Erivo very prominently very virally yeah. she was like i'm done i'm singing my ass off and i get sick yeah because i bye yeah yeah and it, it's 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 when i stage door because of the career i'm in what it is is, is i want to do what i'm doing with you right now i want to look at the person you want to talk with them and i want to say thank you even yeah. if it is something selfish like you know oh i love you so much it's 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 to me. It's like I just want to have that moment. Yeah, and I, and I love that, and I, I think that's great for the industry. What I don't like are the people who are there that want to get the picture with the famous person so they can brag about it on Instagram. Well, I put the picture up too, but my approach to the yeah. celebrity is never I made a picture with you. <laughs> it's, right, right. It, it, it's it's that the people that you and you can smell the difference between people who the interaction means more to them than the picture. Yeah. Like if Tony, if it was it was coming down raining, if the rain would have stopped, then he wouldn't have been able to sign my playbill or take a picture. Yeah. I wouldn't have cared. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, but no, when I definitely first moved to the city, it meant a lot the access of being able to go to the stage doors and talk to people. When you're 18 years old and you just started in New York, and the industry seems so insurmountable, to be able to get face to face with people means the world. Somebody we had on this show, she's a legal commentator who causes a lot of controversy. Her name is Nancy Grace. I don't know that you'd be familiar with her. I'm familiar with her. The reason that she was on my show is because after a TV taping that I was at, and actually my question... I didn't actually, know she'd been on the show. My question actually made it to air. Um, the reason she came on and did the show was because she was talking with people afterwards as they were waiting for the audience to be dismissed. I went up to her, I said... And it was the serial. We were, they were discussing the serial case. It was a legal huh. talk show. 
And I said, I run a podcast. She goes, I'll do it. <laughs> Without even being asked. And she goes, you'll do mine. And so we did the interview yesterday. And we set up me doing her show. And it's, it, it's You're going to be on her show? Yeah. Uh, well, her podcast, not her TV show. I was already on Talking, her, talking about what? Uh, the Cosby case, I think. Oh, wow. From an entertainer's perspective. Either that or the Golden State Killer case, because she's obsessed with that right now. That's a pretty cool case. Yeah. So my point being that if I hadn't have done that, she wouldn't have said to her assistant, you, give him your phone, let him email himself from your phone so that he could send you an email tomorrow asking me to be on the show. And she stole, stole my card and said, I'm taking this, I'm keeping it safekeeping. And then her producer got in touch with me and we did it. So there's merit in stage drawing. Who knows? Tony Shalhoub could have said, well, here's my publicist now. Here's my manager now. Right. Thank you for mentioning merit. Not that I did it for this right. reason. But here's right. who it is now. Please reach out to them. So do we want to set up some of these interviews yes, that we did at Harry Potter? Yes, I know you got to run. Um, uh, i got to go back to my first list here. We've got the, pl- the playwright himself. The playwright himself, who speaks so articulately about... Well, what his intent was. So even before, so the thing I keep saying about Harry Potter is they managed to combine two of my favorite things. They got Harry Potter, which I've read that series dozens of times. I've essentially memorized those books. Um, anyone who knows me knows that that I'm I just it's a it's a I have a Harry Potter literacy diet dictionary in my brain, and they managed to get Jack Thorne, director Stephen Hogg or director John Tiffany and choreographer Stephen Hoggett, who are three of my favorite theater artists in the entire in the world. Um, who's who? Steven's gonna win. Choreographer, I think it'd be yeah. the first first choreo- first choreographer to win a Tony for a play, yeah, over a musical. Um, because the and the movement work that they do in the theatricality in Harry Potter, it doesn't look expensive. It it is theatrical and it is abstract and it is it is it is a piece of theater. I I think Ben Brantley wrote in his review, it's the type of piece that if you don't like it, you just don't like theater and you're never going to. Um, and Jack Thorne wrote a play. Could let the right one in, based off the Swedish vampire film. Which I watched in film class, I know very well. Which is the only truly terrifying piece of theater I've ever seen. Where I took Parker Stanley, my friend Parker, who is the biggest horror junkie I know, and he dove out of his seat screaming. I know Parker too, I used to have class with him. Mm-hmm. That's a high bar. Yeah. That's a high bar. This is a man... Whose birthday is what? October 30th? Or yeah, how, how, October month is what he calls it. October month. And he now, now I'm going to have to send this to Parker. Horror. Haunted, haunted houses all over the country. Yeah, he's... He, uh, I, he, uh, he, I'm, we're going to have to send this to Parker. I'll have to listen we to this. Will. But um, here's, here's our interview with Jack Thorne talking about the process of, of collaborating with everybody and, and writing the story with uh, Joe, if you know who we're talking about. Hello, Mr. Thorne. I'm just curious if you could tell me, was there any difference in what kind of uh, variations did you have to do between uh, England and U.S. in writing? What what rewrites took place, if any? You know, it was a lot of, um, there was a few things. This is a very technical show, and so changing things is quite hard. Um, so there was a degree of just um, uh, looking at everything, examining everything, um, and, but there was also a degree of just fixing some things that we wanted to fix and making some stuff, you know, just better. Um, and um, yeah, which um, John was brilliant at. How do you feel now that you're officially open on Broadway? I feel ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I feel like um, someone slapped me in the face with a carton of milk. I, it doesn't, nothing makes sense. 
um, uh, I, don't, I don't believe I've been given this opportunity. It doesn't make sense to me, um, but I'm really, really grateful and so excited to be here. One last question really quickly. Why was it important to bring a Harry Potter story to the stage? Why was that important to you? There's something, you know, I mean, it's, it's Joe's generosity that, that is the reason why we're here. So that sort of is a question for her. For me, the reason why I'm so excited about it is that I love theatre. I think it's the greatest thing in the world. And Harry Potter as a brand brings new people to things. So it brought new people to books. And in London, our experience has been that it brought new people to the, to the, to the theatre. And then, then they went on, you know, it's a gateway drug. Then they went on to see other shows. And if Harry Potter can do a little bit of that, then that's the most exciting thing in the world. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Joe, Joe is the one person we weren't able to interview. <laughs> Joe, I saw, I did see her. It was her. She did leave. She did leave that way. Did she really? I think so. No, I have a friend out front watched her leave. I had a friend that was out front that watched her leave. Really? Sonia Friedman, the producer, and J.K. Rowling, J.K. Rowling, uh, look almost identical. Okay. Like, they, they look like each other in kind of a scary way. Um, so we saw Sonia Friedman leave. Okay. Uh, was JK did your friend say JK Rowling was stopped or Yeah, she signed. She came out and signed stuff. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I bet you there were people there with books. Yeah, I'm sure. With books. Did the did the publication of the Cursed Child book help or hurt people's willingness to see it on Broadway? Because I have a friend who absolutely I'm gonna curse again, who absolutely thinks the book is shit. But I'm telling him, no, go see it, this. It it reads poorly as a play because it is so extremely visual that it feels truncated. But what you can't, what is hard to get, I read a lot of plays, so I know how to read a play pretty extensively, and it even felt um, a difficult play to read. But it plays, the characters behave the way you want them to behave. Yeah. And they, they are those people you, those people that you grew up loving, um, and they're, they're played by Paul Thornley, Jamie Parker, and Noma Dumaswani to the absolute um, best they can be. Here's our uh, aged up Ron Weasley talking about just that. Right. So sorry, I missed you. That's fine, that's fine. How are you, sir? Good. All right, Paul, Paul Thornley, I have to say, I apologize if this is a weird comment. That's a very Potter, very Harry Potter name in and of itself. Paul Thornley's a very yeah. Harry Potter name. In my mind. Yeah, American people seem to like the name Paul Thornley. Yes, yes, yes. So how does it feel to finally be open? On Broadway. Nice. We, I mean, we've been rehearsing a while now, and you know, we were out in an aircraft hangar for a bit in um, out somewhere. Can't remember. So it's very nice to be to be open. Yeah. That's great. Now, what kind of room as an actor does playing this character so far in the future give you to take that source material and play with it? What kind of room? What kind of fun was that? Well, I think 22 Gears gives you, you know, gives you a lot of room. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously an expectation of what, what people want, but I just thought, well, I'll, uh, this is what I imagine will, he would be like in 22 years' time, and we were allowed the room to play with that. How did he evolve? If he did between England and America, what did you delve deeper into the character, or was it just coming back to it and riding a bicycle? Well, we'd had the, the luxury of performing it for a year, so it's a feel audience responses to certain lines, certain scenes, 
So you have an idea about how you want it to, you know, you think, oh, maybe we could change that a little bit. And luckily, um, Jack Thorne and John Tiffany were up for really exploring it again. And I think hopefully we've really made a, a much richer pudding than we had before because we've had this amazing joy of rehearsing it for another three months. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Welcome. Sorry, I missed you. No, 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 please. You're running around. He was so apologetic. Do you remember that? Uh, he was? What about it? I don't remember, actually. He missed us. Oh, he missed us and came back. Yeah. And I had to wait with the publicist a couple of times, and he came back. Well, you know the funniest thing is they kept bringing some of some people up to us first before anyone else. Yeah. Because everyone else was the Broadway press, where we were like the New York One guys. Yeah. Which was bizarre. It was bizarre. Well, they knew we needed the stars, and we need that that's what would make it to air. Yeah. So I don't know how many other TV stations were there. I'm sure... Towards the end of the rope line, there were other people. Yeah. But it was just, it was a surreal experience. Um, Probably not as surreal as nice as Jamie Parker was having. <laughs> he just, he he had the Harry Potter eyes. He looks like he looks like Daniel Radcliffe in 10 years. Yes, he really does. It's like, does he wear the glasses in the play? Yeah, he does. Okay. And he has the scar. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, I need to see it. Um... He, he has the he has the eyes. He, yeah, yeah. He has. I was like, are you Daniel Radcliffe? Which is so Dad. funny. Daniel Radcliffe. The biggest controversy with him is he does not have the right eyes, because anyone who's read the Harry Potter books know that there's there's a rather extreme detail about Harry's eyes that link the whole story together, which Daniel Radcliffe does not have, because um, he was cast before the stories were finished writing. And I bet you J.K. Rowling said, "Everybody, shut up." <laughs> you know? uh, they, well, they gave him contacts initially because J.K. Rowling told. Then that this was going to be important, and he just couldn't shoot with him. He just couldn't shoot with him. So, so it went from you have your mother's green eyes to you have your mother's eyes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Here is Jamie Parker talking about where Harry Potter is at today. Hello, Mr. Potter. How are you? I'm very well. Nice to meet you. I have to ask, how does it feel? You're open on Broadway. How does it finally feel? Well, we get to let go of it now. You know, it's been a long road getting here. It takes us 100 days to get from the rehearsal room into, uh, into dress rehearsals, and then we've had weeks of previews and tinkering with it and listening to the audience, figuring out what's right and what's wrong. And, and now we've locked it, and we, we get to let go and just let the audience turn up and sort of make it happen. Let's, let's talk character development. Did uh, J.K. Rowling, and just, just simple yes or no here, I want to leave them with intrigue. Did she give you any uh, little insights to Harry that maybe readers we'll never know about? Um, not as such. I mean, you got, I think it, she's said everything that she wants to say with the books. You've got seven volumes of backstory to, as I said, to, to the, 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 the people are already invested in. They know this world. They know it probably better than I do. You know, I've read it as many times as I've read it, five or six times. Uh, and every time I, I find more and more detail. But uh, no, it's just up to us to just trust it. I think you know we know that Jack is an extraordinary writer writing the script we know that Joe is taking this story to the final conclusion and closing the loop of it and we know we have an amazing illusion department we know we have an amazing uh, uh, lighting designer Neil Austin and all of these things so you share all of that work with them and you just turn on turn up and try and let it happen <laughs> okay you would think we would save Harry Potter for last wouldn't you yes Upstaged in terms of interviews by this lady. Upstaged in a lot of casting ways because, you know, while Jamie Parker looks like Daniel Radcliffe all grown up, Noma Dumas 1, he absolutely does not. 
yeah. look like a grown-up Emma Watson. And if uh, the anybody knows anything about uh, the internet, we know why. I wanted to, you know, I hate, there, there's a couple things I hate. Whenever I interview a country music star that's a woman, you end up talking about female empowerment and getting women played on the radio. Whenever you interview somebody whose race has been at the forefront of their career or a recent role, mm-hmm. it's the elephant in the room. And as a white, cisgendered male, as the term goes these days, none of that feels right to ask about. So we didn't ask about it, but I mean, unwarranted flack. And Jake yeah. Rowling was like, everybody Well, Jake Rowling has always said that before Emma Watson was cast, she'd always pictured Hermione as black. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no one can knock the work Emma Watson did across all eight of those films. Uh, but no one can also knock the work that Noma Dumaswani is doing for six hours of playing Hermione Granger. Give her the Tony now. Yeah. Yeah. I was blown away. I've only ever seen that level of humility in one other person who's made it that big, and it's Garth Brooks. I mean, just so down to earth, just so what the heck. This isn't what I asked for when I started my career, but I'm damn glad it happened. Mm-hmm. And you get that with every ounce and every second of this interview. Have a listen. Hi, Noma. I'm Matt with New York One. Matt, lovely to meet you. Lovely to meet you. Oh, my gosh. How does it feel? Opening night, Broadway. Look, I'm talking to you. I'm like this. Oh, this is amazing. Look at all these people. Matt, it feels really lovely. We've opened up one, what, one of the biggest shows I've heard of, and the weird thing is that I'm in it. That's why I find fascinating, and I get to play with some wonderful friends. Yes. I'm looking. I see no pinch marks, but how many times do you pinch yourself? This seems awesome. No, like that. Like that. Ah. Do you know what? I there have been a few times in my life, because life's been extraordinary, when you look back on it, and you never realize it until after the moment, but this time I'm really trying to be in the moment and enjoy this wonderful experience. That is lovely. I'm curious, uh, how do you do it? How do you do a six-hour play? It's very easy. It's a good play. It's a good play. I don't get bored because I get to play with wonderful people and we talk and have fun before we go on. And then my joy is that when we do go and see each other and meet each other on stage in front of an audience, we're still having fun. As I said to somebody earlier on, I've been very lucky in this gig. However tired I may feel around it, I've never been bored once I'm talking to my fellow actors in character. And they're in character. We play. That's wonderful. Yeah, I've heard that a lot tonight. We play, we play, we play. You talk about being in the moment when the talk started bubbling under on the West End that maybe, just maybe, you would transfer to Broadway. Did you ever think you would be in this moment? And did you have an inkling of how it would feel now that you're here? I I never had an inkling of what it would be like. To be here is a different thing. To experience it is a different thing. Everything's magnified to the 10th degree, but in a beautiful way. Um, Look, I'm also in a play called Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which is already sold out for a year. Let's not joke about that, but the audiences who are coming to see it, the majority of them have never been to the theatre before. I, I cannot explain to you how amazing that is as a theatre performer and to be in this play and knowing that there are new people coming to the theatre because they read those books and they watch those films and I get to play the grown-up Hermione and they go with the story that we're telling. What advice did J.K. Rowling give you? Just enjoy the process. Do you know what I mean? She never when she was there. She's always been so supportive as, as as actors but it's like it's the room. It's the room that, that we're more interested in. She is so aware that she doesn't make theatre, but John and Stephen and Jack make theatre. She loves them. 
loves him deeply. And she goes, that's all you can do. And that's who I trust. I trust my theatre makers. And to know Joe has said, yes, I love it. Trust, play, fun, passion, all the makings of a decades-long Broadway hit, and I wish you all the best in the years that you're here. From your lips to God's ears. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you, darling. Take care. Well, Hirsch, we did it. We went a little long-winded. I knew we would. How, how long have we been talking? 55 minutes. Oh, wow. This Who's going to... If you listen to me talk for an hour, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> So, all right, this is how we're closing it out. I'm going to shut up. Your 20 predictions, every category, go. Okay, God, give me a second. Hold on, i got to flip to the beginning of this. Uh, some, I, I'm also going to say if I am pretty confident in it or not. Okay. Uh, best. Oh, God. You've got eight pages, man. Okay. Where is this? They're numbered, dude. Don't worry, I'll edit this. Thank you. No, I won't. I'm just saying. Here we go. Okay. Best musical, The Band's Visit. Best revival of a play, Angels in America. Best revival of a musical, Lincoln Center's gorgeous production of My Fair Lady. Uh, best um, play, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Best uh, direction of a play it was going to go to John Tiffany for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Best direction of a musical will go to David Cromer for The Band's Visit. Best choreography, I am hoping, goes to Stephen Hoggett for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. It's a long-deserved win for him. Uh, best orchestrations will go to, uh, I'm just going to push this name, uh, Jamshid Sharif for The Band's Visit. Um, Hold your mic like this. Did, do you want me to repeat that one? No. Great. Moving on. Uh, best score, musical lyrics written for the theater, will go to The Band's Visit. Best performance by a leading actor in the play. I'm going to say Andrew Garfield right now, but I wouldn't count out Jamie Parker for Harry Potter. Best performance by an actress in a leading role in a play, Glenda Jackson, has the biggest lock of the evening. Best performance by a leading actor in a musical, Joshua Henry, I'm going to say for Carousel, but honestly, any of the four of them could take it. Um, best performance by an actress in a leading role in a musical, Katrina Lank for The Band's Visit. Uh, best performance by feature actor in a featured role in a play will go to Nathan Lane for Angels in America. Best performance by an actress in a featured role in a play will go to, I'm going to say Noma Dumaswene for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. I could be wrong about that. Best performance by a featured actor in the musical, Norbert Lear Butts will win his third Tony for Lincoln Center's production of My Fair Lady. Best performance by an actress in a featured role in a musical. Is it, is it kind of up in the air one? I'm going to say Lindsay Mendez for Carousel, but I could see Diana Rigg winning off of sheer star power. Uh, seeing the end of a play will go to Harry Potter. Seeing the end of a musical will go to um, David Zinn for SpongeBob. Uh, costume design of a play. Harry, just, does any of the design awards for plays are going to go to Harry Potter? All the design awards for musicals are going to go to SpongeBob. That's basically it. And no Ethan Slater for lead actor. I actually wouldn't rule it out, though I would not vote for that. Who would you vote for? Tony Shalhoub. All right. <laughs> All right, Hirsch. All right, everybody. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I know you're a very, very busy man. You're going to London I am. in like a week, and I'm going back to PA tomorrow. So we carved out the time to do this. You have to run. What are you seeing tonight? Tonight I am seeing Our Lady of 121st Street, the Stephen Adley Urgus play. Awesome. Well, I hope you enjoy it, and I hope our listeners subscribe. Follow us at talk for 2 use hashtag at talk for 2 You know all of this, uh, uh, all of this stuff. And uh, I just want to say, signing off for Talk for Two, I'm Matt Bailey. I'm Hirsch Ellis. Reminding everyone out there to keep talking for two. See you next time. 
You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com.